the Mother Loving Future Show, hosted by Amber Strange and Jenna Penrose, two mothers and detectives dedicated to fully embodying a new paradigm of conscious parenting, deeper relationships, healing ourselves into radiant health, and epic answers to age-old enigmas. Get ready to get your mind blown. Because this week's episode starts in three, two, one. Was everyone dancing as hard as I was doing the intro? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Glad to know I'm not alone. <laughs> Hi everyone. Welcome to the Mother Loving Future Show. So happy to be exploring this fascinating subject with you today. Reframe your reality with the incredible, the amazing, the beautiful, talented, intelligent Denise Braun. Hey. Hey. Hey, girlfriend. Hey, so girlfriend. happy to have you back with us. Thank you. So before we get too far into this incredible topic, it's my pleasure to announce that this week's episode sponsor is Four Sigmatic. So happy to announce Four Sigmatic as this episode's sponsor. I have personally been a huge fan of this superfood medicinal mushroom brand for years now, and I am absolutely chuffed that they are now supporting Amber and I on our sole mission here at MLF pretty special guys. I'm also obsessed. I in fact have some tips and tricks up my sleeve for how to get the most out of Four Sigmatic products. I can't wait to share them with you, but for now, go to our shop tab with code MLF for 15% off all Four Sigmatic products. That's a deal, folks. But for now, let's get into today's topic. Let's get into it. Jenna, do you have a guest bio for us? I do. So Denise Braun, who has the most beautiful energy of any person you'll meet, um, (laughs) spent 10 years as a clinical marriage and family therapist and five years as a forensic and trauma therapist. Uh, She's also a certified hypnotherapist, and we're doing an episode with her all about that. So keep your eyes open for it. And she's also a professional artist and educator. She utilizes artful hypnosis method that she developed to help individuals break through the limitations of traditional therapy and grow in their self-belief. She is the owner of Heartwork City Studios in Atascadero, California, where um, her consistently booked out painting classes combine intuitive, clinical, and artistic skills to help individuals unlock their greatest potential. And Denise, you also wrote a book, correct, which is very relevant to this week's episode. I did. Yeah. It's called The Fraud Fable, How to Be Real When You Feel Like a Fake. Boom. And on, yeah. And it's on Amazon and it's it's pretty powerful. So yeah, we're definitely going to talk about how that relates to this week's Reframing Your Reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. We all need to find a little bit more of our authentic self. Even if we think we're being fully authentically ourselves, there's that subconscious mind, which we explored (laughs) on our hypnosis episode, which we have no idea half the time how much it's ruling our world. Um, We do have a brilliant definition, of course, Jenna, the absolute wizard in the definition zone. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. Before you sing all my praises, I I don't, this is just my definition. Denise might have something to say about it. And if you do, Denise, (laughs) please jump in, okay? Okay. Because you're the expert on this topic. Um, So my definition of reframe your reality is our reality is often defined by our quote story which is a set of beliefs that we unconsciously ascribe to, which are often forged in fear and which may not even be true or true anymore. 
By reframing mm. our reality, we can blast through any limiting beliefs or stories and replace them with empowerful, I'm sorry, empowering and mindful new perspectives. I love it. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Boom. Okay. I don't, I don't know if I have anything to change on that, actually. Oh, um, yes. Thank you. I, I, yeah. You did it. Okay. Oh, ready? Ready? This just goes up. <laughs> You just hit it out of the <laughs> ballpark. Oh, Thanks, guys. Awesome. I have a huge smile on my face. Oh, <laughs> well, you should. Yeah, I think that I'll add to it because there's nothing I want to change about that. Um, so when I wrote the book, The Fraud Fable, and having been a therapist for so long, I know that there's this whole thing that's called our narrative, right? And we have a narrative story. And when I was trying to understand why I felt like a fraud a lot, even though I had great things happening to me in my reality, kind of like the imposter syndrome, if you've ever heard of that, we can talk about that. I realized that sometimes, well, at least what seemed to happen with me is that my reality was being created based on some of those narratives, some of those stories, and they weren't always true. In fact, most of the time, they were fake fraud. I, I was living this fraud that mm-hmm. was really uncomfortable. And so that's kind of what I think we're going to dive into. Mm-hmm. So where do you think the fakeness came from? Yeah. And what's the imposter syndrome? So imposter syndrome is a psychological, um, I believe it's a diagnostic where you feel like despite all of the goodness, all of the things that are happening around you, you feel like you're not worthy. You're not authentically who that individual is. So for Uh instance, let's say you're a CEO of some company and you're killing it. You're like doing all the great things, but still deep inside, you feel like you're just, you're a fake. Like if, if everyone around you found out that you're really not in your mind qualified to do these things because you just don't feel worthy of them, then you would be considered uh, an imposter and you imposter would everything okay. would be violated. Yes. Did it, yeah. This is actually super common. Is it, this is a super is, common yeah, situation. It is. I hear a lot of people say, like, I just it feel is. like a fake. So I was watching, and then I'll get to the other part of the question too. Um, in just a minute, I was looking at Marie Forleo's thread on Instagram recently, and she did a post where Jennifer Lopez actually said, despite my Grammy awards, despite all of the things that she had done, all the accolades, she felt like an imposter most of the beginning of her career. And I thought, oh my gosh, I mean, that's like a big name person. But at the same time, I think it's much more common than we know. Definitely. I think it it is. And do you think that that's coming from an undeserving, like a deep seated idea that you don't deserve success or I do? where does that come from? I feel like it's in part because of that. I think that we all struggle a little bit with our, am I enough? Am I valuable? You know, those types of scenarios in the book, the fraud fable, I write about the fact that we have mentors around us and we have um, authority figures, our parents and teachers and coaches who sometimes will infiltrate our story. And what happens is that we tend to glom on to the thing that they think about us because number one, we look up to them. But number two, I think that we don't have enough ego strength early in our life to really understand that we get to write the story. We don't have to live up to a fraud fable. And I'll explain that. But yeah, I think that it's both. And not just that, I kind of feel like we're not aware that we're living a fraud fable a lot of the time. 
Like, yeah, in, well, like, true. you know, I, I can look at um, the closest concept to this that I can relate to and grasp onto is Landmark. Before I went yeah. to Landmark Education, I mm-hmm. was completely convinced of me being a certain way, my history being a certain way, and reality being a certain mm-hmm. way, relationships, men being a certain way, the world being a certain way, and was completely convinced. Like, that was my solid set reality, and I had proof for it in my own mind. I went to Landmark Education, and then they completely busted that down mm-hmm. and exposed this concept that our history you know, starts to carve, you know, the traumas, what happened, but blah, blah, blah. our perception of what happened, we lock, we lock onto, and then that becomes what carves out our reality. But it's, you're carving out your reality based on made up perceptions, not facts. Yes. And yep. it was the first time I came to grasp the concept that, wow, like what happened in my past just was my own story. That wasn't the mm-hmm. truth. And whether I paint that as positive or negative can then um, define how I live the rest of my life. And that's what I think is so important and fascinating about this topic we're talking about today is like figuring out how to first recognize what your story is, understand where it came from, and know that you can reinvent it to live a more empowered, incredible life. You so, nailed uh, it. <laughs> that is what is I want to say. It. Yes. Woo-hoo. That's a woohoo too. That's a down to the ballpark. Um, you know what? I, yeah, I believe all of that. That's exactly how I perceive things too. Um, I kind of thought about it in a sense that, you know, if you ever read fables when you were a kid, so like Aesop's fables. So there's some grand moral outcome to each of those made up stories, mm-hmm. right? So they're, they're made up tales. And so as individuals, we do create these fake made up stories. And if we have an authority figure around us, who's affirming the thing that we created, that's not real. There's this higher moral superiority that comes with that, which is us believing those tales to an even deeper subconscious extent. And so for me, a fraud fable is really about the artificial story. We make it up, but we cling to it because it's supposed to give us something that's going to help us in our life on the other side, Mm -hmm. right? We're supposed to learn the moral. And so I write in my book on page 17 that my fables had exciting titles like settling is security and find yourself a stable job, even if you hate it. And my personal favorite, if you feel like a fake, give up. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately every fable has its place and its creation. I know that I was expected to go to a four-year college as soon as I got out of high school, even though I was rather immature and psychologically, I was not ready to move away from home. And so when I landed at my first Cal State, when I was 17 and a half years old, I was terrified and I didn't want to ruin the relationship I had with my parents. And so I just pretended like I was doing good, you know, and I wound up ditching half my classes and doing these other things. Um, But I was living in this fable that, okay, well, my moral outcome for this, my deeper sense of self-awareness is that when I get done with college, it's going to guarantee me something. And I know my parents know best for me. Mm -hmm. If I would have had a little bit more ego strength, if I would have really understood the fable I was creating, I would have gone to art school in a minute. I would have Mm -hmm. definitely not gone to, you know, that, that was, you know, hindsight's 2020, but 
we overcome the fraud fable when we start to have insight into number one, where it came from, and number two, the reasons we do it in the first place. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So busting through the fraud fable is basically carving a path to reveal and embrace your most authentic self without the imposed, self-imposed or other people imposed ideas about how your life should look or rules about what life is. Yeah, absolutely. And there are ways that we can uh, maneuver within that. So we can maneuver within coming back to a truer, more reality-based place by acknowledging, okay, yeah, maybe this fraud fable occurred because I was trying to live up to an expectation that really wasn't mine. Um, And, you know, maybe there was something that I received from that, but I'm willing to release it. And I'm willing to, I call, I say, burn the fable. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to burn it, baby. Oh, Put it I'm in the right. sink and light it on fire. <laughs> how, how, does, how does one really burn a fable that's in their acting in their mind? Yeah. So through the book, I have these seven different exercises where I go into subconscious space because we know how powerful that is. And as we go into subconscious space, we're actually starting to let go of some of the expectations we had about the fable in the first place. So the metaphorical view is we're going to burn the fable, right? We're not necessarily going to light something on fire, although we could, but I don't know if I'd recommend that. So we're going to go into the the exercises and we're going to start to figure out how I can, number one, understand why I hold on to blocks, right? So blocks that don't let me access the reason why I created this fable in the first place. Number two, figure out how to align my chakras so that I can start to feel like my energy system is aligned with my higher source, Mm -hmm. which helps me to let go of some of these old false beliefs. Mm -hmm. Number three, create a new fable. And we do that through something I call the three stones and three wishes exercise. So we go into a visual landscape that helps us to go deeper into subconscious. And then we start to go into a place where we become aware of why we're in denial or why we sabotage some of our best efforts to try to get away from all those stories in the first place. Mm -hmm. And then it comes into, it finalizes with the viewpoint that our spirituality is a huge part of this entire process. Mm -hmm. How we align, right? It's a huge part of it. So brilliant. Oh, thank you. Everything Mm -hmm. you just said is like really profound. Oh, thank you. I really love how you said that one of the first steps is looking, recognizing the fraud fable through looking at the blocks in your life. Because when I went to Landmark and got hit with everything that you think is reality that you're holding onto from your childhood, that's like carving your now adult reality is all made up. And trying to wrap my logical brain around the narrative of my life being made up when Mm -hmm. my ego had convinced me it was fact, like that literally happened. It was fact. I couldn't, it couldn't let go. So it's, it's really, you know, this is a brilliant freeing philosophy, but the first step of really acknowledging that we make up our narratives like, sure, something happens, but we place meaning on it. We make it mean I'm not good enough. We make it mean men can't be trusted. We make it mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a fake or whatever. So yeah. that's that's the first curveball we've got to try oh, get I know. Over to get to the end of this process. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, and it's a, it is kind of a tricky curveball, but, you know, I tend to look at things um, in a more simplistic way now in my life, having had a lot of experience in this life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I tend to look at maybe there is a simpler way. Maybe, um, we really start where we're at and we don't have to do everything rapidly. We take our time to really start to understand, well, what is my reality? Mm -hmm. You know, having gone through, um, 
a really difficult first marriage. I'm now remarried and it's a joyful marriage, but having gone through my first marriage, I really felt like I was obligated to stay with an individual who was just not serving me spiritually, most of all, mm-hmm. but also in all the other ways. And I considered staying for 13 years. I stayed because there really wasn't, I didn't feel like I had any tools or any way to overcome the thing that I thought I was supposed to do, which was stay married. I mean, shoot, I was, I was raised in a certain, I was raised Catholic and there were all of these things that said, you know, you make your choice and there you go, you know, so deal with it. And I thought, well, gosh, you know, this person is verbally abusive. So does that mean I have to stay in this marriage? It took me a really long time to figure out, I actually can rewrite this and I don't have to blame anybody. And I can find my higher self, my better self by starting to really overcome some of those moral lessons that I thought that I had no choice but to live up to. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even live up to it in my marriage. I mean, it was just horrible. And it was a fake. I mean, ultimately, in front of people, we were so happy. And then, you know, behind closed doors, we're screaming at each other. Oh, so this is like Instagram on fire. Oh, it's like <laughs> everyone's Absolutely. living a fake life through Instagram. It's hilarious. It's just like, <laughs> right. shout out. Um, right. so, totally. So that's an important um, question I want to ask you here. So is there a period of time, say we're comparing our childhood to our adulthood, where the fables are cemented or we gather the conditioning of the way life just is, which we then adapt to? Is there a certain specific time or is it any time we just adapt to these stories and then live them out as if it's reality? Right. We tend to create self-imposed lies when we're young because we don't really have a basis for understanding the context of living, the environments that really support what it is that we're doing. I mean, we just kind of follow the flow, right? It's like your mom signs you up for soccer and you go play soccer. You, um, you know, you go to a certain school because your parents chose that for you. And believe me, parents have their best intentions in mind for most of them, for their children. So as we're moving through this tender age, we tend to start thinking really in the way that our brain allows us to think. So we, we tend to be um, pre-formal thinkers. We're caught, we tend to concentrate on things that are concrete and we don't have the ability to abstract or um, have a philosophy about living. So it makes sense that you would be socialized and that's a really, socialization is a powerful process, right? Mm-hmm. So we're socialized to the way that we become who we are through the eyes of our parents. So what tends to happen is that these fables are really cemented in our early years. And then by the time we become young adults, we're, we're trying to become autonomous. We're breaking away from the family of origin. That's really our job, right? Developmentally, when you think about children turning into young adults, but at the same time, there are still a lot of expectations that are placed upon us. Some of those expectations do include these, what I call self-imposed lies and add that to feeling like you're faking it is ultimately how you create these fraud fables. And then you have to start to figure out, well, how do I overcome them? Which is some of the things we talked about briefly a moment ago. Mm -hmm. So childhood tends to be the landscape where they begin. But I'm going to say, it's not that you wouldn't create a fable in your adult life. I see this a lot with individuals who... um, who get jobs, you know, they get these careers and they're like two years into their career and they're like, Oh God, I really hate this job or I hate this career. 
but it's, you know, you're told, nope, you got to really, you know, you got to stick to it. You know, it's a mindset. Attitude is everything, you know, overcome your asshole boss, (laughs) deal, deal with it. Right. I know. Right. Deal with your job. You know, you're really lucky you have a job, Mm -hmm. but if we, if we come from, Oh, is that me? You guys, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Whoops. If you come from a place, I thought that was on I thought that was on don't disturb. But if you come from a place, I know stuff happens, whatever. Um, if you're just feeling like you don't have any ability to create your reality, which is, I think, Amber, where you began with this talking about a uh, landmark, you're not going to be able to figure out how to get away from the job. That's like the worst job in the history of the planet. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are a lot of things that we have to consider when it comes to where does the fraud fable begin? Mm-hmm. Mostly childhood. But yeah, we can still be susceptible to falling, falling into this um, ideology, even when we're an adult. Mm-hmm. And what do you do with it then? It changes a little bit, but not too much in and terms also, of starting to recreate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You're completely, completely on point there. It's good to keep an eye out on both sides. And when you were speaking, I, I kind of realized that, sure, we make up our own fraud fables, but we also inherit them. And in that ripe age of childhood, we are being conditioned by our parents' language and behavior and attitude and everything. Because as you said, there are reference to the world and to reality and to the truth. So I, I assume it would be really therapeutic and helpful to recognize where the fraud fable came from. Does it even belong to us? Was it inherited from our parents? Or was it something that we created through our insecurities or traumas or or we're inheriting from society even. So I I imagine that's the first step. So how do you, like, what were your fraud fables growing up? And then how did you come to even recognize this philosophy? Right. I think that the philosophy channeled through me. (laughs) Does that make sense? I mean, come on, let's, yeah, let's, let's bring it in. I mean, it was the strangest thing, having been a therapist too, and doing work for so many years and watching people's fraud fables, I didn't have the words for it. But I started to understand that there really is this culmination of belief that's socialized and then acted out, you know, it's socialized to the child acted out as the adult. And that's misery. Those adults are like, I I can't, I married this person. It's not working. I can't get away from this boss. What an a-hole, you know, all these different things. And I kind of feel like um, that the fraud fable in and of itself really originated because of watching all of these different client scenarios. Okay. So that's where it started. And my, um, my, my, um, what am I trying to say? Putting it all together into a big package with a bow took me about two or three years. And the idea was if I can help people illuminate what that process looks like, then they're going to be able to understand what it is. Like, what is your fraud fable? And how do you start to change the way that you live that? Do you have to live that? No, you don't. So the origination of this ideology really came from all of this experience all of these environmental um, situations. And so, of course, my fraud fable, as you asked, does play a part of that. Mm-hmm. I um, was told, go to college, you know, for your college, get a stable job. Hilarious to um, the conversation with my extended family was, well, you know, nursing is a great field. And believe me, I adore nurses. I'm grateful for what they do. I could not have been one. I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. But I tried for about a year and a half. I was in school. Um, but I didn't have any stake in it. I didn't have any, um, I didn't have any passion because it just wasn't 
for me being an, yeah. yeah, that's it. And so trying on so many different hats was really the way that I, de- I identified my fraud fables. Honestly, I went to different schools. I met different people. I had different experiences. I started to become more open to my life's expression and I would take time to stop and really evaluate. Does this feel good? Is this something that serves me in a way that helps me to be a better me? Or is this something that I'm doing because I feel like I get recognition for it or I get reward for it? And I started to realize that I was doing a lot of things because on the other side, I felt like somebody recognized me and that felt good. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't necessarily the life I wanted to live, but shoot, if it felt good because somebody said, yay, and gave me a brownie button for everything I did well, um, I'll take it for a little while until it all started to fall apart. Got it. So that's maybe a good indication for our listeners to recognize if you're living out a fraud fable. What are your motives for pursuing that job, for pursuing that relationship or whatever it may be? Are the motives because you feel passionately driven and it's truly in alignment with you and your truth? Or is it because you've been, you're fulfilling someone else's dreams for you or you've been told that you're meant to do it? Just that resonance test would be like a tool for someone to recognize if you where their fraud fables are. Like how else can we recognize what a fraud, fraud fables that we're playing out? Totally. Well, can I just interject here really quick, because I want to hear all about like how we can recognize and how we can reprogram these fraud fables. But I think like, you know, just breaking a habit is is so hard because we're creatures of habit. And I actually think this is a good point to mention this week's sponsor for Sigmatic, because they do a great job of replacing an old habit, an old outdated habit with an, a great um, updated habit. And just even in your morning cup of coffee. Now, a little bit more on this episode's sponsor for Sigmatic Jenna. Do you know about the insane medicinal properties that these naturally farmed mushrooms offer us? I have heard that they're immune boosting, that they're anti-stressor, that they're anti-carcinogenic, and that the list just goes on. Do not forget the superfood for the mind. The Lion's Mane Coffee Blend is a natural cognitive enhancer, brain enhancer, so it gives you a boost of brain power as well as that smooth organic caffeine ride. They are full of high-vibing ingredients such as stevia, coconut sugar, coconut milk, and other state-of-the-art healthy ingredients. And I have to add here that these lattes do not taste like mushrooms. They taste like the most delicious latte that you've ever had and even more delicious because they are medicinal. And for me, I'm a vegan that doesn't drink coffee, but Four Sigmatic has the golden mushroom latte that works great for my needs. Mm. It's dairy-free. It's full of turmeric. It cleans my liver, gets my skin glowing from the inside out. And foamy. Very, very foamy and frothy. My favorite. Guys, this is the highway to a high vibrational life. Once again, do not miss out on your chance to get a 15% discount off your Four Sigmatic purchase. Go to foursigmatic.com slash MLF or just use our discount code at MLF at checkout to spell it out for you. F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash MLF. Now let's get back into this week's episode, shall we? So Denise, you were explaining to us how to recognize one's fraud fable. Absolutely. So have you ever been in a spot where you just feel icky? A situation, a meeting, a group, a gathering, a holiday party, and you just think, oh God, I don't know if I want to do this. 
Have you ever felt that way? Yeah, your intuition is like, wah, wah, wah. Not in alignment. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Resonance yep. chest saying, run, no, run, run. Yeah, fire, <laughs> yes. fire. So the odds are substantial if you felt that way in those scenarios that you're in some form of a fraud fable. Hmm. Yeah. So authenticity is really the name of the game when it comes to imposter syndrome, you know, that feeling like a fake, even though there's worthiness that you're doing. How do you discover though, what the fraud fable is? So exercise, subconscious exercises. That's what I would prescribe. I would say, okay, take a moment go into a meditative state or what I call a circle of stillness and give yourself an opportunity to seek clarity. So ask for what it is that you're seeking, you know, so I'm really having a hard time at work. Every time I'm in a meeting with Joe Blow, he's coming down on me and I'm just feeling really um, disempowered. So sit with that for a moment. Don't, don't think that you have to get all the answers at once. I think that's really important to hear. Um, but give yourself an opportunity to be the expert because the truth is, you guys, if you created the fraud fable, you can overcome it, mm. right? You just write and you're the it. one who's in charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you had help creating it, obviously, like we talked about that socialization and all those mm-hmm. mentors and parents. But if, if you're in a place where you're ready to really go, yeah, this isn't working for me. I need to figure out how to unstick myself. Then give yourself the time to stop and start to explore. So I talk about spirituality as the pathway to, to clarity. So if you can stop and you can start to plug into source energy, and we do that through meditation, we do that through yoga, we do that through these different practices, you're going to start to find clarity. And I always say, trust what shows up. So if you're if you're sitting in stillness and your question that you presented is just like the one I asked, and all of a sudden you hear, maybe you need to go talk to Joe Blow. Okay, so start there, right? Start in the least restrictive way. So go talk to him. See if there's anything you need to know. Maybe you've misunderstood him. Well, if you do that and you feel safe doing that, of course, and then you come back and you're like, gosh, this isn't giving me the answers I need. Do it again. Do it again. Go through some of these subconscious processes so that you can start to have more clarification. Um, really, we can ask for what we need and we'll receive it. We just have to have intention that it's going to show up. I love that. So it sounds to me too. like number one tool is intuition and trusting it your is. body's wisdom and using your body as a resonance test vehicle. If something doesn't feel right in your gut, in your body, it's an indication that could possibly be a fraud fable. That's, that's brilliant. And then also connecting to source. I love how you said inviting in that higher wisdom and just opening yourself to see what answer or direction they're nudging you in to perhaps mm-hmm. further reveal the, the fraud fable. That's great. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you're connected to that source energy field, you are able to discern answers in that meditative state. That's where I insource all my answers from too. And I just think it's a, it's a foolproof (laughs) way of um, carving out the right path for you and for each individual. Mm -hmm. Totally. Oh, I love that you said that. Yeah. Good. (laughs) No. Yeah. Well, we are source energy. You're right, Jenna. I mean, we are a part of that beautiful, I call it the clock that's woven between us. Mm-hmm. I mean, we each get a part of that and um, it's powerful. It's like super powerful. So why wouldn't we use that? Totally. You know, mm-hmm. the other thing to think about for um, overcoming a place where you feel stuck, stagnant and fake is creativity. Um, creativity really helps our mind to shift into a self-care type of space. 
Um, and it doesn't matter what creativity um, you're doing. If you're driving down your road and you see an old, like broken down dresser on the side of the road and it's not too heavy, throw it in the back of your car, drive it home, um, fix it up, be creative that way. I think that's a fun project. Um, it's whatever, you know, scribbling, drawing with your kids, um, or uh, organizing your kitchen spice cabinet, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever resonates with you. And creativity is one of the ways in the book that I help individuals c- to tap into a different part of their conscious slash subconscious mind. I love. And it can I be love- really. I was just going to, yeah, that's so great. I was just going to say that, um, you know, I wonder if people who are not doing a creative process are more likely to feel like frauds because there's this part of themselves, which they're not expressing. And like, I know you said, Denise, like you wished you had gone to art school, but instead you Mm. ascribed to the fraud of like, I have to get the job and have the safe life. And you didn't, you weren't at that time using your artistic and creative powers. And I wonder if that is part at least of what was making you feel like a fraud. I think that everything, right. The complexity of life is that big, everything throw a blanket over it all. And then that kind of brings us back to who we are, Mm -hmm. like all of these different scenarios, all these different experiences. I would say in my personal system of energy, in my highest self, not being creative was a lie. So Mm -hmm. not being creative was a lie. Mm -hmm. Now I do know creatives that do feel like a fake being creative. And then that's, you know, that's like another condition, but what is that about? Is that more of a worthiness thing? So, um, there are different facets to look at for that. But I would say if, if you've never tried being creative, and I know I hear sometimes from individuals, gosh, I'm just not artistic. Creativity is not being artistic, right? At all. So creativity is um, doing something that helps you to feel fulfilled through an act other than analysis or conscious expression. So what we're doing right now is conscious expression. We're talking, we're dialoguing, we're thinking, we're ma- asking questions and answering them. Creativity takes your brain to the other side. You can sit down like scrapbooking. That used to be the hot ticket, right? Everybody would scrapbook. Huh. You can sit down with a scrapbook. Did you do that, Jenna, Amber? Uh, my did mom you scrapbook? Did. My mom did. Yeah. I mean, vision board. (laughs) Yeah. Vision boarding is such a great creative process to help you kind of feel like you're in the flow. Right. Um, so same idea, you know, whatever that is, do something that helps you to connect, use paper, make cards, paint a dresser, um, see what it feels like. And I would challenge people that are like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not creative. It's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just do something that gets you out of the normal intellectual processing that you do maybe day to day or the the work stuff that you do day to day. I can also know? imagine that if someone's having trouble getting their creative juices flowing, focusing on movement and expression in that lower chakra, like physically moving the energy yes. and focusing on meditation, that lower chakra, that creative chakra is going to help all that energy flow. Always, always. And that's why I love yoga. That's why I love um, anything that has to do, like if I really go walk my big humongous dog, yeah, yeah, dancing, <laughs> dance around the living room, put on your music and dance around the living room. I mean, that is creative expression. Mm-hmm. So being able to connect with different energy in our body is going to help us to know us better. Totally. Does that make sense? Totally. We know us better when we do things that maybe are out of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. We start to go, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I was so good at um, cursive writing. Wow. Well, I'm going to do the cursive writing for my daughter's school invitations or whatever. Right. So 
we are capable of so much more and breaking a fraud fable, breaking through a fraud fable gives us back us so we can create an authentic life. I, I am a prime example of leaving a job that I didn't love that I thought was going to be the stable thing to do forever and to start doing what I'm doing now. And it was scary, but it worked. And I think it worked because I knew that I had some of the tools I needed to kind of break through some of the lies I told myself. Mm-hmm. And I can and also, look at what the, I was going to say, look at what's on the other side of your fraud fable. It's this amazing human that's doing these magical things on this planet. And what a <laughs> gift to all that you chose to break that fable and live as your authentic self. Oh, I think the same of you ladies. And thank you. Yes. I mean, we have to be able to feel awkward and uncomfortable and vulnerable in a lot of situations so that we can move into a place of spiritual bliss. Mm, I was about and to say the spirituality. Yeah. Like having that element of spirituality because spirit will not support a fraud fable. Spirit will create blockages, roadblocks, health issues, breakdowns in your life to get you off the track of a fraud fable and into a track towards your most authentic self because in that pathway of your authentic self becomes clear your life mission that you were sent down to fulfill it becomes like it's it's your best life ever as you said on the other side of that life flows you get given blessings and of course lessons as well but I feel like it's just more fulfilling in general Oh my God, that is my, that is the most exciting thing. I'm so vibed up when you said that Amber, because how many people do you know that say, Oh, it's all right. But you know, I'm so lucky I have this job I hate and, and I'm not trying to minimize because I know that it's really difficult sometimes to get yourself back, you know, onto the rails to feel like you're going forward. Mm -hmm. I've been there. Totally get it. At the same time, what is happening to your life around you when you keep buying into the lie? Mm -hmm. Are you sick? Are you feeling like you're in a spiritual wasteland? Like there's nothing to cling to, like you're floating and can't find the buoy. You know, are you surrounding yourself with toxic people that gossip? Because at least it gives you something you can vibe on. Yeah. Yeah, Distraction. And so I invite people to kind of look around and break the denial. And one of the things I write about is why do we create denial in the first place? Well, we're afraid denial is rooted in fear. And so when we, get shut down because of, of fear, sometimes it can be really challenging to break all of the cycles of denial that we push ourselves through, right? And that is part of the reason why we sabotage some of our best efforts. So, you know, the bottom line is, is there someone you trust? If you feel like you can't tap in to what it is you really need to know about your real, and I call it the real with a capital R, is there someone that you know that you really honor that you could go to and say, hey, I'm really seeking right now. I'm really on this path of discernment. Is there something about me that you notice? Be kind, (laughs) but that you notice that maybe I do that isn't serving me because I'm having a really hard time just breaking through some of this bullshit right now. Oh, I don't know if we can swear. Oh, no, totally. Go for it. Okay. 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 So, but you know what I mean? So it's, it's a process and deciding that you're ready to move into your real is, is just taking that first step, right? On that journey. And I love the fact that you're enrolling your community that you trust for you to be accountable. The reflections in your life, utilizing those mirrors in your life and just trying to catch your blind spots because as we've established the narrative, our life's narrative, our fraud fables can be so cleverly woven into our reality that it's hard for, for ourselves to spot them ourselves. 
Um, so we've got some excellent tools so far for our audiences to try on to spot where their fraud fables are. It's the resonance test. It's connecting with spirit and just asking for guidance and clues and revelations through that way. It's also yes. enrolling your community into the situation and asking them to kindly help you find your blind spots and places where you may be stuck, you know, or showing up not being authentic. Um, and also um, look for the blockages, look for the places yeah. where it's not flowing in your life and you keep hitting the roadblocks. Um, is, is there any other tools that our audiences can use to help them discover their fraud fable before we move into how to then recreate a narrative that sets right. them on the right path? Well, I will say when they uh, get the book, if they go to my website, therealdeniseBron.com, I've actually recorded audio files for each exercise in the book. Amazing. And those, yeah, and those are, thank you. They're powerful because they're based on subconscious work. So they're going to go into this deep state of relaxation and then they're going to actually be able to use, I call it a playbook because they can actually work in the book to do some of the discernment. And we use creativity. We use, um, automatic writing, we use um, fill in the blank thought processes, so that they can start to have hands on tools right in front of them, to be able to kind of dive in, what is it? How do they figure out the fable? How do they overcome mm, it? Brilliant. So it's all there in the book. So yeah. Once again, you that is the, so good. the subconscious you. mind and the, the intelligence of that subconscious mind to help you reveal what your conscious mind can't quite grasp. That's so good. And, and there's something about Denise's voice, which just like puts you into your subconscious. <laughs> A deep, deep trance. And you start yeah, it does. Chicken. It's very weird. <laughs> I don't know how, how it just happened. I, I did. That's so funny. Thanks, you guys. No, yeah, I have had a lot of experience doing guided visualizations. And so um, I, I would hope it's soothing. I, I've heard it is. It, it so is. thank you for that. Brilliant. So we have the tools to recognize your fraud fable. Take us into how do we recreate a new narrative, a new story? How do we find a place to express our authentic self so we can then be living an authentic life? This is a place where I think some of the old tools can be really helpful. I have to say, have you ever done remote viewing? Do you know what that is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. Jenna does. Oh, she does. <laughs> oh, Jenna. What do you, Jenna, tell me, how do you use remote so, viewing? I mean, and then I'm going to add on. Well, I mean, I would just use it. Okay. So I would, I would cost define it kind of as projecting your consciousness into a place that's in a different uh, time space coordinate than when you're where your actual body is. So like, yes, people could, for example, remote view the dark side of the moon and see like an alien colony there or something. <laughs> um, Love it. Yeah. For me, I don't do remote viewing like as a practice in my life. But if I ever wanted to see or know something where I wasn't physically located, I would probably try it. So like, right. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. For sure. Like go to the moon, do what you need to do. I love that. Well, remote viewing is used by intuitives or psychics sometimes to like find things in nature or the world. Um, I put a little spin on remote viewing. I think that we can do remote viewing of self. And I know that you're like, how do we do that? Where you get a pad of paper, you put it in front of you, you take some really deep breaths, keep a pen handy. And I like to use unlined paper because I feel like it doesn't lead the subconscious in any direction, mm -hmm. right? It's just open blank space. Um, so take some deep breaths. Um, you, they can follow along with those uh, recordings on my website 
for the relaxation, get into just a really relaxed space. So if you don't listen to those, it's fine. Just find a really comfortable, calm, quiet place in your home or outside. Uh, you don't want to be disturbed and start to ask to be guided to the parts of you that need to be illuminated. And as you do that, you're calling in all of your source energy, all of your guides, all of your ascended masters, families, all those things, and then just start writing. So when you get to the point where you're like, okay, I feel really calm and relaxed. Good. Boom. Put the pen on the, on the pad of paper. You can even turn it sideways over which way to write, 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 write stuff out. Don't even worry about it. You don't have to analyze it. You don't have to judge it. You don't have to do any of those things. Give yourself a few minutes. Maybe you'll feel complete after writing for a couple minutes, three or four minutes. Stop. I say put it away and don't look at it right after you're done writing. Go make yourself a cup of tea. Come back out and then sit down. And because you've just shifted subconscious conscious in that moment, do you get it? So it's like you were kind of diving into subconscious automatic writing inside. You're like consciously making your tea. Go back out. Then start to go through it. And I bring a different color pen and I circle the things that stand out. It's like, oh, right here I'm talking about feeling free, feeling free, feeling free. Okay, I'm going to circle that. How do I feel freedom in my conscious life? Well, my job doesn't make me feel free. Okay, what are things that I need to do to help me feel that feeling? You know, when I go to the ocean and I stand on the beach, even if it's just for like 10 minutes and I stretch my arms out, I feel freedom. That could definitely integrate with this idea that my subconscious is telling me that I need to do more work around freedom. Okay. And then if it feels like you were writing and you're like, gosh, Denise, all I wrote down was hot dog, hot dog, hot dog, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, which is noise. <laughs> That's all I call that the noise in our daily life. You just didn't get deep enough. Do it again. Don't give up after one to three times. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Cause you're going to get, you're going to receive the gift when it, when you're ready to really receive it. So don't give up, mm -hmm. just keep trying. So I know our audiences are going to be wanting me to ask this question. So you allow your subconscious to kind of, you know, uh, give you language to through feelings and images and intuition yes. to work out what it is you are meant to be doing with your life or who you really are and your capacity to create and what that looks like. How do you translate a concept like I get the most joy, like, you know, follow your joy, follow your bliss that's naturally in you. So how do you translate, say if I'm obsessed with the ocean and I feel my happiest and most joyful and free when I'm by the sure. ocean in the water, how do I translate right. that into a job and into something sure. I can be doing, which I'm in alignment yeah. with, but I can also make money and is an expression of my authentic self, but is also a practical move, like yeah. myself. Yeah. It's not necessarily that the thing about the ocean is going to be the job. So we need to kind of lose the literal connection between those two, because that's not really how it works, but you can take the feeling state, the empowerment that you receive from putting yourself in joy pockets. That's why pockets of joy or whatever. Um, and using that to feel more and more empowered, more and more like you, more and more capable of making bigger and better choices, more and more brave. And as you do that, you're going to be in a place where when you're finally at that point where you're like, okay, I feel so good when I do this, that when I go into my job, it's a fraud fable. I'm so inauthentic. I'm going to go start looking for another job tomorrow or today. And so that empowerment, boom, 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 boom. It's like the ball that rolls down the hill. It gets, it gets quicker, right? As it gets towards the bottom, you're going to get to a point where you're like, you know what? I'm not going to settle anymore. I'm not, just, I'm not. And it might take me a little while to find the job, but I've never been more ready to start to look for the next thing. Got it. So the first step is just being willing to let go of the fraud fable. 
Exactly. I, I guess what I, I'm interested in is how to really recreate a powerful new narrative, new story that is a true expression of your authentic self. I know that people are like, I know I'm not living yeah. my authentic self, but how do I find my authentic self? <laughs> We'll go get the book <laughs> and go through the exercises. I mean, that is a big part of it. But I really recreated my authentic self by going into different experiences and seeing where I felt the most like me. Mm-hmm. So do something you haven't done before. Um, try on a different hat, if you will. Mantra is a very powerful way to integrate the thing that you're starting to discover about yourself. So first, you have to figure out what it is that's making you feel inauthentic. And then you have to start to try on the hat of, okay, actually what I am is I want to be a tattoo artist. So how do I start to learn how to do that? Who can I ask? How do I network? How do I go into a meditative state and mantra? I am an artist. I am an artist. I am capable. I am or whatever that is so that you start to really believe. And then the integration shows up. So I guess what I'm trying to say is you will get there as long as the intention towards what you're creating is who you authentically are. And so it's a process, right? You're not going to just go, oh, you know what? I'm a tattoo artist. I'm quitting my job. I'm quitting my job. And I'm going to, no, it's going to take a little bit, but your belief in authenticity and knowing who you are is a huge part of that. Did that answer it, Amber? Does that make more sense? Definitely. And, um, Jenna and I both have been through massive journeys when it's come, when we've come to breaking free from an inauthentic life or elements of life, jobs, relationships, countries, friendships, stories of ourselves to transitioning into an authentic self that is more empowering. Um, Jenna, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, cool. Do you want to share a story of how, you know, what was your transition like? How did you bust out of your fraud fable into your most authentic life, which you're living now? I mean, the truth is, I think I'm still in the process of busting out of it because I still have some fraud fables running in my head around like speaking my truth and around um, basically a lot of my fraud fable is that if I really speak my mind. People are going to reject me. People are going to think I'm crazy. My family's going to think I'm crazy. It's not going to be this fulfilling communication that I want it to be. And so that causes fear in me that that causes a blockage. So I'm still working through that. But like, for example, even having this podcast and even being able to verbalize that, it's like (laughs) the beginning of, of busting through. But if you look back That's to your it. life where you were living in Paris, smoking cigarettes and like chugging back the champers, and you know, wasn't there an element where you felt stifled? And then there was a moment, and I kind of feel like it's probably around finding your husband and becoming a mother where something you didn't have tolerance to uphold major um, inauthenticity in your life. Didn't that help you shift well, into just embracing your authenticity a bit more? The truth, I mean, the truth is that I've always sort of been myself, like I've always been, you know, I was a philosophy major, always on the cutting edge of reality, always talking about past lives, Atlantis, like, this has always been me. And even when I was living in Paris and smoking cigarettes, and, you know, part of that, the whole, you know, 
smoking cigarettes even was like an expression of, of my grief, actually, for the, the empathy of all the world that like the pain that I was feeling, I was trying to like self-medicate. And um, I think that that's actually not inauthentic to myself in a way. Um, <laughs> you know, awesome. I think, um, I think I like that, I mean, I don't smoke cigarettes anymore, but um, I think I've evolved into a better, like authentic me. But I don't think I ever really was living in an inauthentic. Oh, you know what? There was a time in my life when I was living in inauthenticity. And it was when I moved to San Francisco. And right after I came back from my master's and my, you know, living abroad for 10 years, and I wanted to do all these things, like get certified in Reiki and um, all these sort of healing arts, and then, you know, write and do what I wanted to do. But I was forced because of circumstances to get a normal job, you know? And so for about two years, I was working like in a normal job, like at Nordstrom. Um, just that is when I felt totally inauthentic. And I cried every single day. Like I cried oh, every yeah. day. And I, so it's just like, I would too. inauthenticity <laughs> is so um, inhospitable to me that I just can't, like I will cry every single day. And it's just like major red flags if I ever go into that zone. So. so that's like when Amber, Jana, that is so perfect because that's Amber when you said, how do you know if mm-hmm. you're in a fraud fable? Boom. That your, body, your misery yeah. is so huge. And you're cry- you have a physical somatic response to the pain. You're crying, you know? So yeah, that's a really good example. Mm, really, really good. One. If I think about the moment where I really made, like I really shifted major gears from a life where there were elements mm-hmm. which just were not serving me and were inauthentic to really carving an authentic path. I had to die to my old self. I had to really face the discomfort of identities and people and ideas I was attached to that weren't actually serving me and die to that and crumble, let my reality and a part of myself crumble and create space to recreate, reinvent myself and my world very intentionally. And I dove straight into spirituality, kundalini yoga, connecting to source Mm -hmm. energy throughout that process helped me reprogram all of the concepts that didn't serve me or were inauthentic, which then led to manifesting more authentic mirrors of myself all around me. And it becomes this ripple effect, this fun little dance where your life starts (laughs) to shift when that inner um, perspective starts to shift and recover. So, yes. Wow. Absolutely. The reality of that, it's you're spot on. It's spot on because you, um, the spirituality is a big piece. It has to be, you know, because we're spiritual beings. So um, I love that story. It's perfect. It's a perfect example. I wanted to ask you, Denise, why do you think discovering one's authentic self and authentic narrative is so important right now? I think that we are living in an age of pain. I think that there's always been that, but I think right now it's becoming so collective conscious, you know, in a way. And I do believe too, that we're moving into different dimensional realities, um, which means that we're more aware of our intuition of our emotional states, just generally speaking, but because we're going into technology so much and these types of things, although they're a blessing, they can be a curse because we don't get to practice the emotional self that we need to practice and being authentic involves emotion, right? It involves, like you said, diving into the spiritual so that we can start to know who we are. That's the internal locus of control. How do we see ourselves right as an authentic being? Because 
everything around you is distracting you from going into that place. When you can find the authentic self, when you can find your truth in terms of who you really identify as you, then you start to come into a place where there's joy and love and it's Uh bliss and it helps you to be better at everything that you set out to do. Oh no. (laughs) It's really peaceful. Oh no. Denise, where did you go? Come back to us. Oh my gosh. Are you there? She's in another dimensional reality. (laughs) Denise, come back to us. Maybe she's astro traveling and watching us um, from that place. (laughs) (laughs) Denise, if you're listening and watching, we just got to say that was incredible. We love you. (laughs) And maybe she's with her authentic self up there. Yeah, maybe her authentic self didn't want to be on the podcast. <laughs> That's terrible. Well, hopefully she's going to jump on with us any second now and tap back into our link. Um, wow. I just want to finish on the note that I feel like today is such an imperative time to start working on revealing our most authentic self, because as a collective unit, collective consciousness needs to be operating through the authentic self in order to make some massive changes in the direction we're going, the trajectory of, you know, the earth and humanity. So more so than ever, today is the day to just jump on that train and start being connected to the authentic self. Because there I feel like we're connected to the earth. We're connected to each other. We're connected to love. We're not run by our our wounds and our made-up stories and fears. What do you think, Jenna? I completely agree with that. I I think we need to like collectively bust down these these fraud fables, and I think we collectively need to move into our our authentic selves. Maybe Instagram should just take off all the filter options. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? That would be brilliant. Yeah, all the photoshopping filters, all that stuff. Okay, well. Uh, Denise is still up there in the ethers. (laughs) We love her, but we're wrapping up anyway. So um, we're going to leave how to get in contact with Denise on our show notes. Thank you, Denise. When you listen back to us, you were incredible. We love you. This is such an important topic. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. And Jenna, do you want to give our audience an invitation, something that they can try on at home that will start exercising their most authentic self and recognizing how to break free of the fraud fable? Yes. I, I challenge each of our listeners to do two things. First, identify one fraud fable that's running in your life. And two, think about one authentic aspect of yourself that you're not moving into at this point, but you want to and take steps to, to move into that. Brilliant. I love that. May the force be with you. Go forth and please let us know how you went. This is a super important mission. You can do it. I I give you all the courage and power, insight and intuition you need to complete this mission. And guys, that wraps it for today. Thank you so much for being with us. I know we say it every episode, but we are honestly from the bottom of our hearts so grateful that you get to be part of this conversation and part of our community because this is part of our authentic journey and you're part of it. So thank you so much. And together we can change the mother loving future in the right direction. And if you did like today's episode, which I'm sure you did, how can you not? Please share this um, through iTunes or through social media, like it. 
and um, sign up to subscribe for us for each weekly episode. And you know what? We will feel you with us next week. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm.